When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Let's talk about that speech with Claire and Rachel. Hey, everyone, and welcome back to the Let's Talk About Speech podcast. I'm Rachel. And I'm Claire. And we're back for another episode. This is part two of our Where to Work series. So if you haven't taken a listen to part one, stop, go listen, and then come back. So today on part two of Where to Work, we are going to be talking to SLPs that work in the elementary school setting, in the like junior high and high school setting, private practice, and then in early intervention and preschool setting. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Next, we have Jess Bunnell, who is on our show um, talking about private practice, which we're really excited about, and we can't wait to hear from her. Jess, thank you so much for being on today. Thank you guys for having me. I'm really excited to be on your show. I listen all the time, Yay. and it's, it's an honor to be here. Oh, we love that. <laughs> thank you. Um, let's start, I guess, just with talking how you got into the private practice world as an SLP. Yes. So I started my practice, um, Communicids Speech and Language Services, uh, in July of 2020 in response to COVID and the pandemic. Mm-hmm. Um, basically, I was looking for a new job and I was interviewing at some public schools. Um, but as time went on, I didn't feel comfortable providing services in person at that point. Um, and I knew the only way that I would have full control over how things went um, was if I was my own boss. So I jumped in and started my own practice. And um, it's been a fascinating journey with lots of learning, wearing lots of new hats. Um, I got my marketing hat, my administrative hat, my business owner hat, um, and obviously my normal therapist hat. Um, but I really, I love being a small business owner and working in private practice. It's been a really positive shift for me. So Jess, I'm curious just cause Rachel and I both, um, we do private practice kind of on the side, but just mm-hmm. either out of like the client's home or our home and, um, me mostly through telepractice, but I'm curious, do you see your clients in like a brick and mortar? Do you have your own space or do you go to their homes or how do you see your clients? So I started with telepractice because that's, um, you know, where I felt what they needed. Yeah. 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 And I, um, like I said, I, I wasn't really comfortable going back in schools. Mm -hmm. Um, so I started with telepractice and my goal was always to 
um, do home-based therapy. So I used to work in early intervention, Mm -hmm. which is home-based. Um, and I loved it. I really Mm -hmm. loved it. I loved, um, working with the child in their natural environment. I loved connecting directly with caregivers and parents and kind of coaching them through different strategies. And, um, the buy-in was like so much better, you know, being in their environment and them watching my hour long session. Um, so I knew that I wanted to do home-based therapy again, um, once I felt comfortable and I actually, when is it about a month ago, actually a month ago today, I started seeing clients in person again, which was just like filled my therapy cup Mm -hmm. so, so, so much. It was really fun um, to see kids in person. And some kids were like, or some families, I should say, um, wanted to stay, stay Mm -hmm. remote first, you know, at maybe through the end of the school year, you know, whenever they felt comfortable. So, um, I am about half and half at this point. So I see, um, some kids in person and some kids, um, over in their home. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. In their home. Yeah. Cool. So I know you kind of already said you like the early intervention and Mm home-based side of it, but what are some of your other favorite aspects about working in private practice? Um, I have just found so much freedom in owning my own practice. I, I just, I love having the freedom to create my own schedule, to use the assessment tools and the treatment methods that I think are appropriate. Um, I just, you know, I see the clients that I feel equipped to see mm-hmm. um, and refer clients to other SLPs if I feel like I'm not the best fit, um, which I feel like is, is what I would want if I was mm-hmm. a parent. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I want the expert on whatever it is. And if I'm not the expert, I'm going to refer to someone who is. So I definitely like that aspect. Um, I just, I feel like I have so much freedom also in how much I charge Mm-hmm. Um, so I set my own rate and can raise it at any time for any reason. <laughs> um, and you know, I can decide if I want to invest a little more in the business one month, um, and then invest a little more in my savings account the next mm-hmm. month. Um, and yeah, so that, that aspect is great. I, I, cho- I mean, I choose how much vacation time I have. I choose okay. my hours. There's just so much freedom Mm-hmm. Um, oh, I, oh my gosh, I choose how often to provide services right. and, yes. and how long the session should be like, that is so, that freedom is so huge to me. Like if a child needs, needs two 30 minute sessions, I can do that. Mm-hmm. And I'm not restricted by sort of like the bureaucratic, you know, right. whatever in other settings. So, um, you know, I obviously use my clinical judgment to make those decisions, but right you know, I, I don't have to justify it to anybody, but the parents and right. sometimes like insurance companies, but um, <laughs> anyway, yes, the freedom has been definitely my favorite part of being in private practice and being, you know, owning my private practice. So on the flip side of that, because every single setting has its challenges, what would you say um, are the biggest challenges you face in the private practice world? Um. I, I feel like the challenges I've found in private practice are, you know, kind of stem more from being a business owner and less from actual, like the actual setting of private practice. Mm -hmm. Um, I thought that the hardest part of starting private practice would be like the logistics, like setting up an LLC and getting a business license and figuring out billing and, 
you know, creating a website and all that stuff. Um, but all of those things were in my control. Like the completion of those tasks was completely in my control and I did them all myself, mm-hmm. but what was not in my control was the client base. Um, so, you know, I can control how I market communicates and who I market it to, but I don't have control over someone picking up the phone and calling or not right. calling. You know, I, I don't have control over someone choosing communicates over another local practice. So mm-hmm. That has, that's been the most challenging for me. I very much like to be in control of my own <laughs> destiny. Um, and uh, I've learned that, you know, starting your, pre- your own practice, you, you have to be okay with not having full control over the flow of clients, especially in the beginning. Like um, there was about a month where I didn't get any calls. Like, I think it was mid-April to mid-May, you know, mm-hmm. like just recently. Yeah. Um, where I didn't get any referrals and I was just going strong with my current caseload. And then, um, and then last week I got three calls Mm -hmm. that all turned into evaluations and possible clients. So it's just, it's, it's so inconsistent, which, um, you know, can be challenging, but, uh, yeah, that, that was definitely the hardest part for me. Yeah, for sure. So we're asking everyone to kind of about compensation and how they feel about compensation in their setting, because, Mm -hmm we mostly feel like it, it isn't talked about enough, especially for new grads and CFs trying to find where their setting is going to be. So with however much you feel comfortable, um, talking about your compensation, just how you feel about that versus other places you may have worked in the past. Yeah, absolutely. I would even go a step further and say, um, that women don't talk about it very much. Mm -hmm. Very true. And we should. Mm -hmm. Um, so I, I'm a huge supporter of that question and, and this conversation for sure. Um, since I set my own rate, yes, I do think I'm <laughs> compensated fairly. Um, but that being said, I also dramatically undervalued myself in the beginning. Yes. Um, <laughs> yep. Claire and I know that struggle. Yeah, <laughs> yeah definitely was undercharging um, for a while and you know, only sort of recently, um, increased my rates and felt very nervous about communicating that to my clients. Um, but everyone, everyone has been very supportive and and it's been wonderful, but it's, you know, there is definitely a mindset of like, I am new to private practice, so I should charge less or I am, I'm only three years out of grad school, so I should charge less. And that's it's not, (laughs) that shouldn't be the case. It's not true. Um, I can see charging more if you had a specialty or if you had taken, um, you know, all these extra programs or certificates to, you know, to further your education. And then you charge more because of that. I totally get that and support that. But, um, you know, just because I am new doesn't mean that I'm not good. (laughs) You know, it doesn't mean I don't have the knowledge. Um, so yeah, so I think I, I am now compensated fairly, but I think in the beginning, I, I definitely, um, you know, undervalued that, which is too bad for me, but 
it's a great learning lesson. Too. It is. And I think we all start that way because right. I I'm sure you're in all the private practice groups on Facebook mm-hmm. and all of yep. that. And I feel like it's a constant question. Like how much should I charge? Is mm-hmm. this too much? How do I increase it once it's already something set? Yeah. And yeah, that's, that's, that's a challenge. I think in itself for me, having private practice, even just on the side is mm-hmm. just communicating the money side of it. Cause I'm not a business person, I guess yeah. I kind of am, but it's not fully in my blood. Like right. it is yeah. with some people. Right. And yeah. no, I, I totally agree with that because I, I feel like I am a speech therapist. Yes. Like that is so my identity and I mm-hmm. love that. Yeah. And I do not think of myself as a small business owner as much. Like it's just not where so many of my strengths are. I really right. feel like I'm strong. I'm a strong clinician, mm-hmm. um, but I don't feel like I'm a strong business owner. And so right. that's, but again, I'm so new to it. So I, yeah. you know, I have to give myself, you know, cut myself some slack there. And, totally. And, yeah. Um, yeah. Some of the best advice that Claire and I have been given during our like podcasting journey was from Shannon from um, Speechy Musings. We had her mm-hmm. on for an episode and she said, like, I will always have my own back and I just need to remember that and stand by it. And ever since that episode, anytime I'm trying to make like a business decision or like go out on a limb and you know you're like should I shouldn't I and I'm like wait I'll always have my own back mm-hmm. it's I fine that we'll just go for it I yeah. love that that's great that's a great um sort of mantra, mantra. yes I was gonna yeah. say mantra. yeah yep. yeah it's a good <laughs> mantra so I guess um going off of that and to wrap up what um advice do you have I guess for someone who's interested in working in the private practice setting as an SLP mm-hmm. I think this kind of goes along with the theme of what I've been saying, but I love working in private practice, but I love working for myself even more. Mm -hmm. Um, So I, you know, of course there are challenges and hiccups along the way, but the rewards just drastically outweigh everything else. The freedom that I was talking about drastically outweighs everything else. And, Mm -hmm. you know, if you're thinking about starting your own practice, my advice is to just start, like don't let imposter syndrome get in Mm -hmm. the way of you, you know, pursuing this, you don't need a fully designed website. You don't need business cards. You don't need like all of this, um, sort of like, um, front facing, you know, all these front facing aspects, you just need a client, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know, like you just need one client to start a practice and it grows from there and you need like some legal stuff, but, um, (laughs) (laughs) but, but yes, my advice is to just start and also to join the community of private practice SLPs mm-hmm. if you are thinking of starting because um, it, it definitely got a little bit lonely for me because I'm used to working with um, other SLPs and OTs and PTs and like all these other people and mm-hmm. now it's just me. So I, it's right. been really wonderful to find, um, you know, some people that I can sort of text or call or, or walk through different problems with. Um, but yeah, take it the, the hardest part is taking the first step. So just start and, um, you'll keep building from there. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much, Jess. That's great advice. We appreciate your expertise so much. Thank you. It's, it's just so lovely talking to you. And I, oh. I could talk endlessly about starting a private practice. So if anyone has any questions, um, if you have more questions about money, I'll talk about money. I'll talk about private practice. I'll talk about anything. I love it. <laughs> I love it. Thank you so much. Yeah, absolutely. 
So next we have Paige Rosano, who is a preschool-based SLP, and we are so excited to have her here and hear about this setting. Thanks for being on our show, Paige. Hi, thank you for having me. So I guess, can we just start with you talking about how you got in the um, early intervention setting that you're in? Well, I mean, originally I, so I am with a contracting company and I previously was within um, an elementary school and they knew that I wanted to work with the littles (laughs) because (laughs) I, I love it. Um, I was, I did do an early intervention internship in grad school. So I was just, you know, drawn to that population. Um, So now I'm in that preschool um, school-based position. Cool. Um, What are your favorite aspects about working with the littles? You said you love to work with the littles and Rachel and I both do too. So I'm excited to hear. (laughs) Yeah. I'm excited to hear about your favorite parts of working with that population. I really love keeping it very play-based and fun. Um, Really the the play aspect is my favorite and trying to incorporate that into every session um, as well as, of course, you know, books that really, so themes, (laughs) I do use themes and trying to incorporate both play and books within my session. So um, keeping it really fun and also child-led. Um, which can definitely be harder within the schools, um, within group settings and all of that, but just trying your best to keep it that way so that um, each kid is happy. Yeah, yeah, definitely. For sure. I've had to teach um, like interns that I've had or even like CFs that have been in my building a lot of times when they're working with early intervention students in that like preschool age I feel like I frequently hear them saying it feels like they're not doing therapy, right? Because you're just playing, whereas opposed to like, I don't know, an elementary student that's working on ours, that feels like way more therapeutic to like drill the sound or whatever it may be. So I can relate to that uh, play aspect for sure. So I guess on the flip side of that, what are some of the biggest challenges you face being in that setting? I would definitely say the biggest challenge is trying to meet each child's um, needs within that group because at that age, um, their attention isn't always quite there, you know, so trying to manage each kid's interests within a group can definitely be um, quite a task. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. And they're running around like crazy or chasing them down. Um, I've never, I've worked a lot one-on-one with littles, Mm -hmm. but I've never worked with them in a group. So I give you props because I feel like I'd be just chasing them all around. (laughs) I feel like that'd be really hard. Um, but that's great that that's your passion. That's awesome. Um, kind of going into the fact that you're in a contract position. So we're kind of double dipping here because you are our first that we've interviewed that is in a contract position. And we've told all of our interviewees to just respond to this as you feel comfortable. Um, but just to give people that are graduating and CFs an idea and a look into really what the world of SLP and different settings, how they're compensated. So do you feel like you're compensated fairly? Um, can you touch on that a little bit? So being within the contract company, I actually do think I'm more so compensated fairly than um, SLPs with 
that are hired on with school districts. Mm -hmm. um, the gap between what they make and what I make, I'd say is like, you know, 10, 15,000 difference. Yeah. But um, I will say, you know, the benefits aren't going to be quite as good because I want to say districts can cover at least the one I'm in like 90% or something like that. Mm -hmm. And mine is more like 75% for the mm -hmm. primary and um, any dependents, it gets lower. I can't remember the exact because I don't have dependents right now, but That's I think okay. it's like yeah. 25 to 50%. So, um, personally, like you just have to kind of look at it. Would you rather have a higher income, significantly higher, um, versus would you rather have um, better benefits? Um, another thing that I did want to touch on, oop, and then just left, oh, <laughs> summer school. So my, I'm on a 12 month um, salary. So I'm salaried. Mm -hmm. um, so I actually do get paid during breaks. It's not just like they, you just get nothing for that mm -hmm. time. So because I'm salaried, I get on a 12 month scale, I get paid all through summer. Um, so yeah, in the end, um, the actually one thing, at least I know this of California that is quite fascinating. I make more in the school setting through my contracting company than if I worked in their private practice setting. Oh, wow. Um, yeah. So like you would be working more in the private practice setting because right. you don't get summers, you don't get weeks off, um, like long, you know, Christmas week or whatever. Um, and you'd make less. Mm -hmm. So I just wanted to throw that out there. It's kind of interesting. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I like what you said, like, it's definitely up to your family's needs, like your own personal needs, like what mm -hmm. works for you and where you're at in your life. So that's something that people just need to kind of self-evaluate and see what would be the best fit for them. And definitely, um, every contracting company is very different. I think mm -hmm. mine is a little, I don't want to say better, but yes, I do think <laughs> it's better than maybe some that like, yeah. you're like, Oh, um, people don't really stick with that company or, yeah. um, so definitely take every company as its own. Um, I've definitely heard not so good stories from other companies, um, of coworkers, friends from grad school. Um, so yeah, definitely get as much information as you can from each of them, yeah. how much support you'll get, um, compensation, benefits, all of that good stuff and compare. For sure. And I think it's, um, really smart of you to bring up like the benefits conversation because like for example when I was a CF I was like oh benefits are benefits but they're they definitely vary from school district to school district and even like contract company to contract company and I know like I can personally say I so I have my husband on my plan and one child and I'm gonna have another child on my plan and that in itself pays so much because the coverage that they have is mm -hmm. so high. So in that mm -hmm. situation, it really pays for me to be hired through, you know, my school district as opposed to a contract company. So that's definitely, definitely a smart point to bring up. Cause I feel like, right. Like no one really thinks about that. You hear a job offer and you're like, cool. Yeah, sure. Insurance is great, but is it? And you got to look into it for sure. Yeah. And you might, hone in more so on the salary aspect, um, mm -hmm. how much you're making versus, well, what do those benefits, um, 
account for and what would that um, cost be if say you weren't that percentage wasn't as high um, that they cover for the benefits. Yeah, for sure. So I guess just to wrap it up, um, what advice do you have for someone who's interested in working um, in this setting, both I guess for a contract company, which you kind of just touched on, um, and early intervention specifically? Yeah, so with a contracting company, definitely ask a million questions. Um, ask as many as you'd like, anything about supervisors, about support. Um, the, does the district, are they, is the district used to having um, contract SLPs in there? So what's that um, environment like? Like for my um, personal experience, this district is very used to having my company within their district and it's been that way for a long time so it's very like family for like they they're they're used to us and it's not <laughs> like a division yeah um so ask just asking as many questions as you could think of or reaching out to um some people on the the instagram you know we're always <laughs> here to support um and then anyone interested in preschool um if that's something that you're passionate about, play or the littles, um, find where you can get that experience. You know, um, if you're interested, ask the contracting company, do you have preschools available? Um, if that's where your passion lies, um, I think you can definitely find something. So don't be shy for, to, to go for it. Yeah. That's awesome. Thank you so much, Paige. You've been such a joy and we love following you on Instagram. So definitely <laughs> make you. sure that you guys go follow her. She's at speechy page. Yes. Yes. Just making sure I got it right. Cause I got that off the top of my head. You can tell that I look at your stuff a lot, though. Um, but I love your videos and all your, posts. yes, I was just going to say the videos are the best part. Yeah, they're awesome. So thank, <laughs> thank you so much. We appreciate nope. you. No problem at all. So now we are going to be talking about the elementary based setting, and we're talking to our very own Rachel, <laughs> who is part of the Let's Talk About Speech podcast. So she currently works in the elementary school setting. So she will be talking to us about where she works. So Rachel, um, tell us a little bit about working in an elementary and how did you decide to be in that setting? Yeah, so um, actually this is the exact same setting and school. I'm very lucky that I started off my SLP career in. So this is where I did my CF year. Um, a couple things have changed. So my first year I was actually split between an elementary and a preschool, but ever since then, um, like my second year on, I have been just at the elementary school, which I love. So we are a K through five building. And I also have three self-contained classes within that. Very cool. So what are your favorite aspects about working in the elementary school or working with that age group? So I, def um, I definitely love the littles, which I've talked mm -hmm. about um, before numerous times. And I also really love those self-contained classes. Um, I'm very lucky to be able to be at my building full-time Monday through Friday mm -hmm. um, because I service such high needs classrooms. So I love that part. I don't know. I feel like um, we've heard a couple of people say that 
one thing they love is that their day is different every single time. And even though I do have a set schedule, I still can kind of relate to that and that my schedule's different each day and, you know, like new needs arise or whatever it may be. So I kind of like that I'm always kept on my toes. I'm always watching school-based SLPs too, and they just look like they have so much fun with like (laughs) their teachers and the classes. Like they get really involved in being a part of the school. Mm -hmm. So I feel like you have a whole, you don't just have a coworker or you don't just have coworkers. You have like a community, which I think is really cool. I've always thought that was awesome about schools. For sure. So I'm super close with my whole special education team, which I feel Mm -hmm. really lucky about. Um, and those three self-contained teachers and like, here's another perk. One of my self-contained classes had been working really hard on some readers theaters projects. So I got to go down to a class, um, a couple of weeks ago and just watch them perform two different fairy tales. So cute. And I know it just made my heart so happy. So those are some of the joys highlights. Yeah. Job. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. So on the flip side of that, what are some of the biggest challenges that you feel you have in your setting? Um, uh, the, so the first one, I feel like that every school SLP is going to go to is paperwork. Um, you are going to find that in any setting though. It just looks different, whether your documentation's on the computer or like paper copies of IEPs. The other challenge is that my caseload can get pretty high. Um, one year I ended like very close to 80. Yeah. So that can feel very challenging. Um, I am fortunate enough that now we have another halftime SLP in our building just because the need is so big, but I would probably say caseload combined with paperwork is like the biggest or like most annoying challenge in billing, right? Like no one likes billing. Right. For sure. (laughs) So do you feel like you are compensated fairly where you work? So, um, I do feel like I'm compensated fairly, definitely, because I always have to put this into perspective that I really only work like nine months out of the year. Mm -hmm. So when you think about being paid for nine months of work, I'm definitely compensated fairly. Um, there are also a lot of opportunities in my district to, earn more. That was something we've talked about on a past episode that I'm on a double master's pay scale because of additional credits that I've taken. Um, I receive a stipend because I'm department head. So there's always opportunities, I feel like, to increase your pay or advocate for yourself for things like getting your C's paid or whatever it may be. So I guess the overall answer is yes. I did the math once too. I just want to put it out there, you guys, that truly for working in a school for the hours that you did that Mm -hmm. you do, if you were to be paid hourly in a school, it is the same, if not more than what your hourly rate is in outpatient, which is what I'm going to talk about. But, um, I did the comparison and it truly, it, it just is what it is. Yes. You Mm -hmm. don't work as many hours. So I guess you don't have as much opportunity, but you're still getting paid a fair amount. And I feel like people look at the big number and they Mm -hmm. think, oh my gosh, that's nothing. But then when you factor in the hours that you're working, it's just, yeah, just want to put that plug out there. The other thing is, um, at least at my district, and I feel like I'm hearing this more and more is I'm paid 12 months. Um, Claire, were were you 
Yeah, they spread, you could choose, you could choose oh, okay. to flex pay, which was you were paid for 12 months, or you mm-hmm. could choose to lump pay. And that was, you get it all over the nine months. Gotcha. So yeah, I'm paid over 12 months. We didn't have an option in our district, but the nice part about that is like I just said, we, you know, we have summers open um, and I private practice. So I do, that opens my schedule open wide for the summer. Um, so when you like, awesome. yeah, when you toss that into consideration also, it's definitely fair. Yeah. So any last pieces of advice that you would give someone who wants to work in an elementary school? Um, I guess my piece of advice would just be to really go for it. I feel like if you're already thinking you want to work in an elementary school, you know, you like children, you know, you like that, like demographic and age, Um, and there's really like so many opportunities to make therapy fun. Um, right. It's not as play-based as in comparison to like early intervention or something like that, or even private practice, but the, especially the K-5, they're still so eager to learn. They still think it's cool for the most part to come to speech. They're still excited to see you. And that is something that I feel like I really treasure, you know, throughout the day and the months and the weeks, because the school year can feel very long, especially mm-hmm. this year. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Um, so I guess my advice is just to go for it. Yeah, definitely. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to do's, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. So we have Chris Winger, who is on Instagram as the speech dude here today to talk with us about being a school-based SLP, working with teenagers, which is just a wonderful population, but also a challenging population. So we're excited to talk with him about the setting he works in. So I guess, Chris, can you start by um, just telling us how you got into that setting? Yeah, absolutely. So I grew up with a family of educators. My dad taught high school PE. And so it all started back when I was in high school. I played sports growing up. I played baseball, soccer, and basketball. My dad was always the coach. You know, his schedule allowed for flexibility for that. So um, he was the coach of the varsity team at the school that he taught. I was the assistant coach. And one of our students in um, one of the complex needs classes Um, He was like the bat boy. He just became one of those kids where I was like, this is the type of individual that I want to work with. My dad always said, you know what, if you can get out there and and help other people out, you will have lived a life worth living. And, you know, he said, outlive a a life of of your own there, you know. And so that persuaded me to get into the the field of special ed. Mm -hmm. So prior to being an SLP and prior to being a speech dude, I was a special ed teacher. So it was really cool. Yeah. So that was kind of my path. And I got um, um, the firsthand experience of writing IEPs early on. Mm-hmm. And then that transitioned into the um, idea of going, wait a minute, what's that more specific field? You mean I can help others communicate? You mean I can help others establish friendships and I can help others, you know, build relationships. And so um, that's kind of how this all came to fruition. And it's just been 
nothing short of, of a great, the best move of my life. Yeah. That's so, awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. I love that. So what are some of your specific favorite aspects of working in the setting that you work in? It sounds like you love what you do. So maybe just, you know, a few favorites of being in that position. Oh yes. Uh, okay. So, you know, honestly, one of my favorite things about this field is right about now that graduation time, you, for me, I work yeah. with teens and what happens is you get these parents reaching out to you. Like I just got tons of emails of parents sending me pictures with their kids. And um, it's like, Hey, thank you so much for being there throughout the years. You know, there's this thing where when we work in education as an SLP, we don't get the kids for one year. Like we're with these kids for several years. We're not just being their speech therapist. We're literally their family. Like they, we are their go-to people. And so, you know, that's honestly my favorite thing about the field is the, the relationships that you establish, the amount of, you know, joy that you bring to people's lives for helping them engage, connect, and communicate. Yeah. The amount of um, awesomeness that you learn along the way of, and the people that you meet in the field. I am telling you, when I go out to these conferences, when I do webinars, when I do podcasts like this, yeah. it's like you meet new people and you go, yeah, I love this. This is yes. awesome, man. These people are cool. Like, you know, it's, you guys know how it is when, you, when, you're out in the, when you're out in the community and you meet somebody mm -hmm. and they're like, oh my gosh, like I'm a speech therapist. And you're like, you're my people. Like yes. we can talk <laughs> I for know days. we're going to be friends. Yep. We're going to be besties right yep. now. We're going to talk about all the greats, but all the not so greats. And we're just going to get along. So, I mean, those aspects right there um, is just, is just the, the key to a good life. Mm -hmm. For sure. We can definitely relate to the, um, you know, like connecting with colleagues through the podcast every single time we're done interviewing someone and, you know, Claire and I have a, a second to chat after we're like, oh my gosh, they were so great. <laughs> I um, love that. Yeah, that's yeah. absolutely right. It's yeah. connections. <laughs> For sure. So I guess on the flip side, um, what are some of the biggest challenges that you face in your setting? Because we all know that they're there regardless of whatever setting we may be in. Right. I feel like time constraints and I feel like paperwork can sometimes be a little draining. You know, back when there was the reauthorization of IDEA, the whole intent, some people thought it was called No Child Left Behind Act, but that was separate, right? Mm -hmm. They initially called this reauthorization of IDEA um, the, the Paperwork Reduction Act. And it's like, that didn't happen. It's like, I've got a stack of papers. Yeah. It's like much, much more paperwork. Right. So I would say that trying to find the balance between your workload, caseload, and, you know, just getting things done is, is a challenge, you know, and it's manageable. I don't want to steer. I never try to steer people by saying, hey, there's so much paperwork. Don't do this. Right. You know what? Everything comes with a cost. The paperwork is meant for a reason. Mm -hmm. At the end of the day, if you've had very difficult IEPs and huge stacks of papers. All that's meant to do is make you stronger and make you exactly. better. Exactly. Yeah. Literally making your life happier. It's like when you go into those meetings and it's, you get these advocates that are, you know, maybe disagreeing with some of the things that you're saying, or the IEP meetings go from um, what you had thought the time frame was to a lot right. longer, whatever it might be. Mm -hmm. You know, all of those moments are meant to meant to make us stronger, meant to make us be a better SLPs rethink what we're doing, really help out the kids that we're working with. So mm -hmm. you know what, the, the challenges 
aren't so bad. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I agree. And so Chris, we have asked everybody this and you can answer this however you feel comfortable, but do you feel like you are compensated fairly? I think that compensation is something that um, especially new grads and uh, looking at their CFs really want to know about. And it's something that's not talked about a ton. So we are asking all the settings this and just feel free to answer however you feel comfortable. You know, my answer is going to probably be a little different than, than most on this one. I'm in California. Um, and so this podcast is being listened to throughout, you know, a, a large amount of people scattered between states and other countries. And so, um, and so my situation experience might be a little different. What I can tell you is that um, the compensation, whatever the monetary value is there, mm -hmm. you're being compensated by the parents telling you, hey, you've made an impact in the life of my kid and I cannot thank you enough. The compensation comes when you get some extra time off that others might not have to spend with your friends and family. At the end of the day, the level of happiness doesn't change above the poverty line. So anybody making above the poverty line, they're not any happier than the millionaires out there. You know what I mean? Because happiness comes from our connections and our relationships with others. So when someone says, well, I'm making 60,000 and that person's making 120, the reality is, is if you're connected with your peers and you're connected with your colleagues and you have a, a solid family relationship type, all of those um, type friendship type deals, you're at the end of the day, still going to be happy. If we go back into talking about money though, mm -hmm. um, you know, I, I truly feel that um, in, in each setting, it's definitely different, but I feel that there's opportunities because the school districts are flexible. We get out at a decent time. You just have to work on some time management to get the paperwork done, but there are rooms for growth and rooms yeah. for um, making a little extra money here and there, maybe, mm -hmm. you know, some coursework that you put out or maybe TPT or some boom learning or right. um, doing webinars and, you know, in-person things. So, um, you know, overall in short, um, I always tell people don't focus so much on the money. Remember your value and what you do for others. I love that answer. Thank I know you. <laughs> that was fantastic. I'm feeling very inspired. <laughs> um, so I guess this is kind of a good note to end on. Um, what piece of advice, even though you just gave fantastic advice, uh, would you have for someone who's interested in working in the kind of adolescent teen field? Oh, okay. So um, in the adolescent teen field, I would say that playing the double empathy card is huge, right? So yeah, we work with people on perspective taking skills, but regardless if we're working with a neurodiverse student or we're working with articulation or we're working with some type of vocabulary development, we have to try to put ourselves in the shoes of the students we work with. Mm -hmm. If there's anything that I've ever learned, and I got this from a guy by the name of Rick Lavoie, um, and he shared this years ago um, in one of his seminars that he did, and he said, that if you can know this one thing about adolescence, then you will have solved a whole lot for working with the population is this. All teenagers don't wanna be embarrassed. Like that's the one thing. And so they live their lives based on trying to mask certain things. This is for all kids. I'm not just talking about a subgroup. I'm, I'm talking all kids in high school. I don't care if they're the freaking quarterback, right? If right. they, if, yeah, if they can do what they can 
to not get embarrassed in front of their peers, then if we can understand that, then, then it's a lot easier for us to work with them. Mm-hmm. Always put yourself in the shoes of others. So that's what I can, I can share with you. You know, I all behavior. That. Yeah, it's like you think about behavior in class yeah. and you think, well, was that behavior intentional or was it to try to avoid looking and being embarrassed in front of their peers? Like, hey, um, Johnny, we want you to read paragraph three. And then paragraph three comes up and all of a sudden he smacks the kid next to him or he throws a pencil. Johnny, you're outside of the class. It's like, mm-hmm. well, I don't think that that behavior happened because he meant to hit the kid. He tried to avoid by not being embarrassed because he didn't know how to read. You know, there's exactly. just always things that we have to try to perspective take. And, and, and honestly, once we do that, then we're serving our, our students in, in the right way. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Yeah. Behavior is communication. I always go back to that. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Right. Thank you so much, Chris. That was wonderful. Yeah. You got it. Well, guys, that wraps up this episode. Thank you again so much for joining us. And as always, you can find me, Rachel, on Instagram at supersweetspeech. And if you or anyone you know is in need of speech therapy in Southeast Michigan, feel free to email me at speechissupersweet at gmail.com. And you can also follow the Let's Talk About Speech podcast on both Facebook and Instagram. So make sure you give those a like and a follow. And you can find me, Claire, on Instagram at kindly underscore speech or my Facebook page, Kindly Speech LLC. And if anyone in the Ohio area is in need of speech teletherapy, please contact me, kindlyspeechllc at gmail.com. Rachel and I also have an email for the podcast that you can email us with suggestions, or if you or someone you know wants to be on the podcast, that's let's talk about speech podcast at gmail.com. Thank you so much for listening. Bye.